The NBA All-Star Game is on Sunday, and the league has built that event into a packed weekend-long phenomenon. We're talking with the NBA exec who oversees that and all of the league's major other events. Plus, Wilson is producing a $2,500 basketball, Comcast is leveraging Caitlin Clark in a very specific way, and MLB players are not a fan of their spring training uniforms. It's Friday, February 16th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Starting today, Wilson is selling a $2,500 airless basketball. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports breaking news and enterprise reporter making his podcast debut, Alex Schiffer. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me, man. Big day. Yeah, great to have you on. So let's get to know you just a little bit first. Um, uh, so what are your your teams? Who who has too much sway over your happiness in the sports world? Uh, not many because I uh, my happiness has kind of been eroded by them, but... Uh, I'm a I'm a New York Mets fan. I went to Missouri, so the Tigers, and uh, what's left of my uh, my Jets fan, the Mifeni. So uh, I'd say those are the the three that still have my attention for now. Got it. I also am a long suffering Mets fan. Um, I find the the quintessential Mets fan feeling is not so much the misery; it's more like the the optimism. It's like every year I'm like, you know what? Actually, I, I could see it working out this year. And then every year they're the Mets, um, and I never learn. But you know, whatever. That's 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 my lot in life, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Someone once described it to me as having a disease that occasionally goes into remission. I haven't <laughs> yeah. found anything better than that. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Uh, I guess that's a lot of teams, but I feel like the Mets have their their own unique flavor. Uh, so let's let's talk about this ball. So, uh, what is the deal with this ball, and why is Wilson selling it for twenty five hundred dollars? Yeah, you know this uh, this wasn't something that they necessarily were trying to do. That you know they're always looking into different ways to innovate their products, and an airless basketball came up on their radar partially because probably their biggest complaint among customers is just that eventually a ball goes flat. You know, there's no hard timeline on when that happens but as a ball ages it eventually loses its ability to hold air um also water damage eventually becomes an issue at some point so they started kind of chipping away at this and looking at the different prototypes and they had one for last year ahead of the dunk contest which kj martin son of uh former nba also kenyon martin used in a dunk and the feedback after that was very overwhelmingly positive and they decided to go from there and and manufacture what they could so it's you know about 200 balls and change that are available for sale starting Friday. So uh, we'll see where it goes and how does it become a niche? Does it take on its own thing? Does it replace the airfield basketball? You know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where, where the timeline goes from here. And just physically, what are we talking about? How does this ball, you know, maintain its shape and bounce with no air? Yeah, it's 3D printed. So it has like exact, you know, right, traditional basketballs are made um, with leather, you know, cowhide, kind of eight panels, eight um, eight pieces, uh, four layers. So this is 3D printed, and kind of each ball is exactly the same. You know, each basketball might be a little bit different, whether it's air pressure or leather, et cetera. This is uh, – each one is like an exact replica, essentially, of the one before it. It bounces like a regular basketball. It, uh, it looks like a regular basketball. has the same weight. Um, it just has, instead of, you know, like an innumerable, a uh, ton of little orange dots, this one has essentially like, you know, some holes through it. So it's kind of uh, transparent, but still like a, a black orb essentially that just doesn't need air. Interesting. And you talked to a couple of folks at Wilson. 
Is there a defined plan for what happens with this, or are they just going to put it out in the world and see if it catches on? Yeah, you know, to quote a famous basketball player, Kevin Garnett, uh, Wilson kind of took one from his book, Anything's Possible. Um, but obviously they're very early in this space and, you know, they've talked about, you know, Kenyon Martin Jr. talked about how different the ball feels from like a traditional one and how that was his biggest. That's why he prefers a traditional one to the airless one. But if this, I think the biggest question is how much can technology evolve to where this rivals a regular basketball, you know, that a kid would play with outside that probably sells between 25 and $50 on the higher end. So, if they can get it to rival that price point, I think maybe it becomes the new regular basketball because a bunch of kids can grow up playing with it. If it becomes more for a niche market and they can't really get that price point down, I feel like it's going to be more of that high-end type thing that maybe your rich friends have. Yeah, right. It certainly feels like that's what it is right now. Um, in terms of getting it down, I mean, I feel like as long as it's 3D printed, either that technology has to get more expedient and efficient or they're going to have to find a new manufacturing process, not to get like two in the weeds here. But do you know what the the plan is around that? Yeah, they're they're betting kind of on additive manufacturing, which is you know a fancy word for three D printing, kind of becoming more mainstream. And with that being the case, obviously that would make it cheaper. And then also, you know, they, they've said that they'd love for the ball to be like a hundred percent recyclable in some way. It's currently not that they they're hoping that the bigger this gets and the more out there it gets, maybe you know some material suppliers start to wonder if they have something that could really fit this better and bring the price point down for that as well. Yeah. And anything else you're looking out for tracking in terms of, yeah, what happens next with this? Yeah. I'll be curious to see how quickly it sells. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they sell, sold out of it in minutes. You know, there's only 200 of them. There's enough people that have that kind of money given the small quantity to probably, um, to probably have them go quick. I'm kind of curious if that's the case, though, what's the afterlife of it after Friday, right? Does something go at auction? Do one of these go at auction for a bigger price than that? Um, what's the second life to kind of keep it in the news so that we're talking about it? Because I feel like it's one of those things where because it's not something that like, you know, like climate change or, or maybe it's too controversial or like, you know, electric cars, right? Like something that everybody's trying to like, um, that talk about or address, like no one's really trying to like save basketballs or fix them right now. So, like, I think that, like, the longer they keep it in the public discussion, the more it could catch on and be a thing. But if it kind of, if we're not talking about this in, like, a month or a year, I think that that's kind of the biggest, the, the probably one of the bigger hurdles that, that doesn't involve technology. Alex Schiffer, glad to have you on the show, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Going into this year, MLB gave its players a reason to be excited about their spring training uniforms. The league worked with Nike to design what's being called Nike Vapor Premier Uniforms. The name itself tells you that there are grand ambitions for these unis. Nike says the material makes the uniform softer, lighter, and stretchier than previous jerseys and pants. They are manufactured by sports apparel giant Fanatics. So, what's the verdict on these beauties? Not great. Angels outfielder Taylor Ward said it, quote, looks like a replica and feels kind of papery. Cardinals pitcher Miles Michaelis was annoyed that they aren't as customizable as previous uniforms and said having to wear these things at spring training is, quote, taking away the magic. That sentiment was echoed by Angels reliever Carlos Estevez with the memorable and Yogi Berra-ish line, when I wear my pants, I feel like I'm wearing someone else's pants. Players have also pointed out that the color shades look off and the lettering of their names on the back looks weird and is strangely spaced. The grumbling is now loud enough that the MLB Players Association has gotten involved. 
The complaints might spur adjustments next year, but players are stuck with the uniform producers. Nike and Fanatics inked a 10-year deal to supply on-field uniforms for MLB in 2020, so that deal has another five seasons left after this one. With Caitlin Clark on the cusp of breaking the women's college basketball scoring record, Comcast had a decision to make. Would it keep Iowa's Thursday night game against Michigan on its streaming service, Peacock, or would it move the game to NBC to tap into a national audience? The company stuck with Peacock in a move that signals the further foregrounding of the streaming service going forward. This, of course, is the second highly anticipated game this year that was exclusively on Peacock. The NFL made the controversial decision to grant Comcast a streaming-only playoff game, which ended up being a marquee matchup between the Miami Dolphins and the eventual Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. That became the most live-streamed event in U.S. history, with an average viewership of 23 million. Brian Roberts, Comcast chairman and CEO, told FOS, that was a galvanizing moment for the entire company. To say we're going to have the biggest day in American internet history, that didn't happen by accident. Comcast was therefore delighted to have another signature moment only available on its streaming service, and it could happen again soon. Clark is on pace to break Pete Maravich's men's scoring record this season as well, and two of Iowa's remaining four games will be available only on Peacock. Up next, I spoke with NBA executive Joey Graziano. Joey oversees all of the NBA's major events, and All-Star Weekend is one of the very biggest. We talked about how they are working to keep it fresh for fans and players alike, what they learned from the first year of the in-season tournament, and plenty more. That conversation is coming up right after this. All right, I'm joined now by Joey Graziano, Senior Vice President and Head of Event Strategy and Management for the NBA. Welcome, Joey. Uh, thank you for having me, man. Really excited to be able to connect. Yeah, great to have you on. So you were just saying offline a moment ago that you've been in Indianapolis for the All-Star Game for the past month or so. Um, yeah, take me through some of the preparations and you know how far back you start. Yeah, we, we've been planning this event for seven years. Um, you know, in particular, uh, certainly over at least the last 18 months, there's been an intensity to that preparation. And it really starts from us. Um, we don't stamp out our global event. Everything is custom curated for the moment and the market. And so it really starts with us uh, going through a full listening tour of key stakeholders, the mayor's office, the governor's office, certainly the leadership in particular here of Herb Simon and the Simon family, our longest standing governor, uh, at the NBA and somebody whose leadership across all issues is vitally important to our success, but certainly someone who has a shared history um, that we were excited and, and a shared value set that we wanted to amplify through a global platform. And frankly, this is also a city going through continued transformation and growth post the pandemic. And we were really excited about the growth, both of the paces are experiencing on the court, this incredibly young team that's dynamic and certainly setting the pace for the NBA. We were Fortunate to be able to experience some time with them in Las Vegas for the in-season tournament semifinals and finals, uh, but also a city that we think is that we're really bullish on. So the combination of all of those led to these incredible storylines and opportunities. And we settled around this concept of the most fan first NBA all-star of all time. And so that's what we've been working so hard over the last year and a half to really bring to life. Yeah. And what does that actually mean to have yeah the, the most fan first? I mean, aren't they all very fan first? Certainly. Like we are, we are prioritizing being a direct-to-consumer company and putting our fans first in all instances. What it really means is about identifying traditional ways that you do your business and think through the fan lens. So more fan insights, more access, and more community connection. So I'll give you an example to me of, of really incredible leadership of putting, uh, your, putting that leadership to the test. As we've thought about 
All-Star Saturday night, one of our true marquee events. We've always struggled with identifying inventory that could be available for the fans because our global business community descends on an all-star city. And so it's really the time of year for us to plan to bring together our guests from around the world into, a, into market, which is a great statement and platform, but it does struggle then for fan, for fan inventory. And so one of the statements that the Simon family made was they decided to help push all-star Saturday night from their building, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, which they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars recently renovating. It's one of the best venues in all of the world, but they made the decision to move it to Lucas Oil. And what that did was it allowed us to then have 35,000 people in attendance and gave us that extra inventory, including us putting 10,500 tickets on sale for fans, local geofence for $24, getting real fans in the building. To me, what a statement of leadership. When, the, when you decide you want to do something fan first, what kind of decisions you have to make? We have to look at your entire schedule differently than before. And in addition to, you know, you've got the game, obviously, you've got the three-point contest, you've got the slam dunk contest. Uh, you also have some stuff that people might not be as aware of, like the HBCU Classic, the G League Up Next game, the Rising Stars game. Um, and at those levels, it feels like, you know, maybe, you know, people will tune in, people will check it out. It feels as much for the players as, as for the fans. Um, and I think that's okay. Um, but do, do you think that is my premise correct there? Well, I think our players really look forward to NBA All-Star Weekend, in part because it's an opportunity for them to, to gather. They are, I think they like the cultural elements that we lean into, the volume of celebrities. That look, this is truly an event where, you know, the best of the best across entertainment, music, fashion, art, technology all come together. We even created an event around that, NBA Crossover, which is where we bring together those holistic interests of the players around exclusive collaborations something where we have more than 18 panels happening. A hundred player and legend appearances will be part of, uh, of NBA Crosser. We have a HBCU and NBA Foundation pitch competition, our version of Shark Tank that we put on, a film for global fans where our fans create their own videos, our version uh, of Sundance that we created last year. So I think our players enjoy those opportunities, but what we have found is that our fans are interested in what our players are interested in. And so all those off-the-court elements I referenced those are the same reasons why our fans find, especially our young fans, find this league so engaging and entertaining is because they are excited that our players are also social justice advocates and fashion designers and artists and musicians. And they enjoy those aspects of, of our players as much as our players enjoy being that diverse off the court. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think that's absolutely right, that fans will gravitate toward what players are interested in, both because, you know, they're both human beings interested in the world, but also, you know, they're there for the players, ultimately. Along those lines, has the NBA done anything to uh, try to keep players engaged with the game itself? Because I think it's uh, it's a struggle that every league has, that the game doesn't count. There's more and more pressure and value put on the games that do count. And for some, it feels like the All-Star game is more of a burden than than a privilege. Yeah. No, I think the great part about the NBA is we have a really authentic, honest relationship and dialogue with our players, but also ourselves. And so I think we recognize that the core of it is still a basketball game. And it's still bringing together the best basketball players in the world onto one, onto one court. So we've made adjustments. We've made adjustments each year. And in hearing from our fans and hearing from our players, frankly, that's why this year we went back to that East-West format. Joe Dumars, who heads up our, our basketball operations department, and nobody has more credibility in the office, but also around the league, given his incredible career and service, both an NBA executive as well as, a, as, a, as an all-star and Hall of Famer. 
um, having those conversations and letting our players know that this has to be at its core a basketball game where you're putting the best players in the world together on the court and we've got to be able to compete. And so I think you're going to see that this year, especially in a state like Indiana, we're returning to some of the fundamentals of the basketball game. And so those entertainment elements, they're there, they're incredible, they're going to be an exciting part. But at its core, this is going to be a great game on Sunday. And uh, for the dunk contest, Mac McClung, you know, became a sensation last year. Prior to that, I was hearing a lot of grumbling of people saying, oh, it used to be Michael Jordan versus Dominique Wilkins. It used to be the biggest stars in the game. Now it's, you know, a bunch of folks who you may or may not have heard of. Anyway, did the McClung phenomenon cause any rethinking around how to position the dunk contest? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting you say that. Um, we certainly see the power of something like uh, the Super Bowl halftime performance on the on the artist that that engages in that platform. It's what a marketing platform. We've certainly seen the growth of Mac McClung. Um, I have it. I was a, I'm a Georgetown Hoy at heart. So Mac broke my heart when he transferred for, from Georgetown because I was a, and I've been a huge fan for a long time, but he certainly grow in stardom um, while he was competing last year. But then you think about this year, we have a transcendent all-star, one of the best players in the world in Jalen Brown, who's competing in this year's all-star. I mean, slam dunk competition. So certainly we're seeing both the rise and ability of the dunk contest and that platform to be able to grow stardom as it has with Max. But I think we are still seeing our core stars look at it and say, this is the place where I want to showcase that I'm one of the biggest names on earth. And that, that's why we're excited about Saturday. And you think about the technology investment we've made in bringing in a new court and a new storytelling platform on Saturday night. We think it's going to be a really engaging, exciting Saturday uh, evening across the skills competition, certainly a three-point competition. And now you're seeing the back and forth between Sabrina and, and, uh, and Steph, two of the greatest shooters on earth. Steph changed the game literally with the way in which he approached it. Um, we think there's so many reasons to be excited about what Saturday night's going to offer for the fans. Yeah, I mean, I will pass like kids playing pickup basketball and see them like heaving three pointers and be like, yeah, that's that's the stuff that's, effect. Right. <laughs> I mean, Steph's Steph changed the game, um, you know, and certainly he's led uh, many people to think about, you know, both in terms of the, the value of the three point shot. But to your larger point, the fact that there are kids looking around and saying, I can be like Steph. And that means I'm going to be able to have range from anywhere on the court in the way certainly when I was growing up was I want to be like Mike. And that meant, you know, you walked around, you rocked that black starter jacket with Jordan. You stuck your tongue out as you drove to the paint. I think Steph's had that effect on, a, on another generation of kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for the Steph versus Sabrina three-point contest, probably the most anticipated event of the weekend. Uh, what do you think it's going to mean for, you know, the weekend, but also the NBA and the WNBA? Well, I think the WNBA is, is on its incredible growth trajectory. I mean, if you just have to look at what the stars, even – in, in women's basketball like Caitlin Clark and what they have done and the, and the amount of interest and excitement. And certainly I can tell you from being in Indiana with the first pick, people in Indiana are incredibly excited about the possibility of Caitlin Clark joining the team. So we, we are really excited about the growth of the WNBA and under Kathy Engelberg's leadership. But I think what this is about is that competition. Give us a rock and let us compete. And whether you're uh, a great male or female star, that there are multiple levels and platforms to compete. And I think that is what is exciting about Steph and Sabrina and what they're doing is they're showcasing us that no matter who you are, when we're going to the office every day, when we go down to work, there's something about authentic competition and being your best version of yourself. And when you do that, that's always right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And kind of along those lines, this is the first year of the in-season tournament. Um, 
And, you know, it was a way both for fans and players to get a little more excited about the early stages of the regular season when when not everyone's as tuned in, at least on the fan side, as as they have been historically. I think on that front, it, it did really well. I'm just wondering sort of what your learnings were from the first iteration and also how things might change. I, I think certainly, I mean, what it starts with is that I, I always said it, this was every game was a game seven. That the greatest thing in all of professional sports is a game seven, which is very different than something like the NCAA tournament, where what is so what is so exciting about that is the surprise element, the David versus Goliath. That isn't the, the, the product we were putting on. Our teams know each other. Our superstars have played against each other. But it's about that game seven. When our, when our players are put in competitive environments where the ultimate stakes are on the line, um, it leads to results that are, real, that are really exciting. And so I think what we've learned is we want to continue to give our players more opportunities. And we've done that in the past with the play-in tournament, um, and the opportunity for those playing games into the playoffs um, have been incredible basketball. And now when we saw with the, with the in-season tournament renamed now the Emirates NBA Cup, uh, the opportunity to be able to give our players those games of consequence, that our fans love it, our players love it, and certainly becomes one moment. So I think about our NBA Cup and say, we are just getting started. We are just scratching the surface of what I believe that that event will become. And Certainly this year in Las Vegas, where, where our semifinals and finals, it was a global destination. It was a place where we saw fans from around the world decide that was a weekend they cannot miss of NBA action. And that's great for our global fans who don't always have an opportunity to be able to put a game on their calendar. But now we've created an event where they can and say, yes, I'm not going to miss this doubleheader semifinal action um, in, a, in a premium neutral site like we had this year in Las Vegas. Yeah, and... On on the um, Emirates thing, uh, so yeah, the word Emirates is going to be all over the NBA starting next year. So you've got you know the, the in season tournaments now the em- Emirates NBA Cup. Uh, it'll be on patches on on the officials of uh, both NBA and WNBA. Uh, is this just a um, sort of you know that's what Emirates is getting? Is is their name on a lot of things? Or are we going to see other changes? No, I, I think when we think about our the work that we do with our partners, it is again about a shared set of values and how do we then use those values to amplify um, our vision collectively as a league. And so I think that's the great part about all of our incredible partners. Um, You think about Pepsi and Nike and Jordan and State Farm is that as those partnerships work, they evolve um, and they give and create authentic storylines and State Farm being an incredible example of, you know, right now the State Farm Assist, you can ask anybody on, you know, everybody understands what that platform means and it had an impact across multiple sports and multiple entertainment properties and new stars that have been born. And so I think where our partnerships will go with all of our partners will always change because at the NBA, we, re- we really pride ourselves on listening and on building together and not, and not believing that tomorrow has to look exactly like today looks. And I think you saw that with um, the in-season tournament, the NBA Cup. You're seeing that with this all-star where we are doing things we've never done before. Uh, and you're certainly going to, I think, continue to see it with how our partner platforms come together. And are you guys consciously taking inspiration from European soccer? And the, the in-season tournament feels like a European soccer thing. Also, I mean, the, the comparison came up around the name Emirates. They're yeah. all over European soccer. Is that a direct inspiration for you? We're a global brand. Our teams are global brands. We have a global fan base. It's one of the, the real differentiators, we think, of the NBA compared to you know, some other leagues. And I know that there are, you know, other leagues are continuing to follow our league, but we want to be a global brand. We want to be for every fan. So, of course. I think we take inspiration from all of the leagues around the world. And I think if we are able to, um, if we are able to 
you know, continue to build global fandom, we know that we're going to be able to reach more and more, more of our fans. You certainly see that with something like our NBA social media, where 70% of our fans are international. Um, we know they're hungry. And so part of that has been our decision and continued decision to bring games around the world um, is that we want to give our fans authentic basketball action in real time. And I think the, the, the NBA Cup was an opportunity to be able to do that. And certainly I think of All-Star as an opportunity to be able to do that. We have fans coming into Indianapolis from 34 separate countries. 150,000 fans um, are going to be descending on, on downtown Indy. Uh, we've got our, our BWB, our, our, our youth, one of our global youth development opportunities has players coming in from 22 separate countries. And you think about what that's going to do for fandom around the world, what Luca has done for fans in Europe and Giannis and Jokic, some of our best players on earth are certainly our recent MVPs are international. So we're going to continue to lean on being um, a great global brand. And is there any issue around, um, or maybe not an issue, but just what does it mean? I feel like the NBA has got this situation where it's it's not exactly a unified product, or it's like because it's speaking to so many different audiences. You know, if I'm a fan in Eastern Europe, I'm going to have a different approach to the NBA. I'm going to be watching different players, probably different fandom uh, than you know maybe a fan in New York or San Francisco. Um, so yeah, is that something that you guys tussle with in terms of how you present yourselves as a league? Certainly, I, I think our desire is to identify and the core interests of our fans and bring them products that resonate with them. And I think that's what we're doing with NBA All-Star. It's why we created all of these different events. Something as simple as the Rising Stars game on Friday, uh, where we've got the celebrity game that happens right before it. So certainly for our fans who are interested in the entertainment aspects of the league, you're seeing something there. Our Rising Stars are young generational talents like Victor and Chet and Paolo Boncaro hitting the court, but playing in a tournament. I think we now have some credibility with tournaments that we didn't have before. And so we're, we're excited about that. Um, you think about NBA crossover happening across all three days and the entertainment. We've got the deepest musical lineup, lineup we've ever put forward here, where we've got DJ Diesel and MGK on Thursday evening. On Friday, we've got Lil Wayne and Zed. On Saturday, Keith Payne, uh, Keith Urban and Walker Hayes happening uh, during uh, on Saturday during the day, Jelly Roll on Saturday night, and Little Wayne on Sunday. It's a really deep, diverse music lineup talent. So I think our thought is we are continued. We can continue to put together products, experiences that excite our fans uh, around the world because that's who we are. We are a global. We are a global league. Um, we are a, a global fandom, and so we just continue to be authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Should be a lot of fun. Joey Graziano, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me, man. That's it for today. We have a lot of good stuff coming up soon, so subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a rating or review while you're there. Enjoy your weekend. We will be off on Monday for the holiday. Thanks for listening. See you on Tuesday.